Welcome to the Lila Life Show. This is your host, Linda Andrews, and thank you so much for tuning in. With any episode that we have, whether it's a solo cast or a guest expert interview, my intention is for you to be able to anchor into yourself, to ground into yourself, and to explore, whether that's a new concept, an idea, whether something's intuitive in you going off, or there's just something that you hadn't thought of in a different way before. I hope you get to explore curiously, to sense make, and to activate something in yourself that you hadn't had activated. Enjoy today's show. As always, please like, share, subscribe, do the thing, and we hope to help support you consciously up-leveling in your life and business, the Leela way. Welcome to the Leela Life Show. I'm your host, Linda Andrews, and I'm excited to bring Dr. Elizabeth Sharp to the show. Welcome, Dr. Elizabeth Sharp. Oh, thank you so much for that warm welcome and for having me on the show. I'm so excited to be here. Uh, Glad to have you. I want to read a little bit of your bio before we dive in. You know what you are, but I want for our listeners to know a board-certified internal medicine physician from Institute of Functional Medicine Certified Practitioner separately and the founder and CEO of Health Meets Wellness. You started Health Meets Wellness to make functional medicine more accessible, combining your experience in healthcare and physical activity, specifically yoga, where you've completed your 200-hour yoga teacher training and believing in combining daily movement with medicine to help with your patients. You are dedicated to helping your patients reach your wellness goals and developed Health Meets Wellness with Troy Flanagan, PhD, and Susie Parker Simmons, RDN, specifically to help patients with wealth management. There are so many gems in there. I want to start today with your origin story and what got you to launch Health Meets Wellness and turn the mic over to you. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so excited to talk a little bit about health meets wellness. You know, it's been really fun getting to see something that I, you know, kind of dreamed of and come to life. And the real goal for the practice is to bridge the gap between the health and wellness industry and and medicine. And I started Health Meets Wellness because I love primary care. And so I've always loved the relationships that I have with patients and getting to see them over time really taking a deeper dive into their lifestyle medicine, or sorry, lifestyle, and then to practice lifestyle medicine or preventative care is what really got me into functional medicine. And so being able to now, you know, do my own thing where I can really combine medicine, exercise, and nutrition under one umbrella has been really exciting. And so that's my view of holistic health. Uh, I love it. And when you were going the med school path, were you and the primary care path, did you have your eyes set on functional medicine and the emergence of the nutrition and the wellness piece? How did that specifically evolve? Were you seeing something that made you feel like that needed to happen? You know, it's interesting. I feel like I didn't notice that it was missing when I was in med school um, because a lot of the care that you are trained to to, to do in med school is really more hospital-centered, right? And so there's less primary care training. You don't really see that part that's missing, which is what you start to kind of uncover, the better you get to know patients, the more you start to see some symptoms that maybe aren't explained by the more, um, you know, traditional medical workup. And then as soon as you want to take a deeper dive, for, for me, it was really with a lot of gut health issues where I'd have mm-hmm. a lot of patients come, I do the general workup, some blood work, 
um, rule out, you know, concerning conditions, and then they would still have symptoms. And I'd be like, I want to be able to bring them more. I, I, there has to be more I can offer. And that's really what opened the door to functional medicine. And then that really started to help me understand how your diet and lifestyle weave together with your entire health. Uh, I love that. It's so interesting. Personally, I I don't know when I first found out about functional medicine, but I started, I, I do know it was through my own health challenges with my gut. And this is probably mm-hmm. a, a while ago now, but I was like, there's got to be something different. And then I started hearing the whispers of functional medicine and it's kind of some self-study mm-hmm. pieces. I'm not a medical doctor at all, but I it, like the desire for something more. And I'm just so excited to help illuminate how for someone right now experiencing some symptoms that they can do their own discovery around that something more, obviously you're a great resource and an asset for them to lean on to beyond a podcast episode, but especially being holiday season where you could be eating a little extra of all your favorite things, which could lead to more inflammation perhaps, or more of the underlying. So I think we should start with what around the something more do people need to be paying attention to within themselves to be like, oh, something's going on yeah. here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a great question. And I think that, or a great thing to highlight, I think it's really important to know when to call something out, when to ask for help, when to say, okay, I need to, you know, know more. I would say if a symptom has been around for more than two weeks, mm. and generally that might be a good indication to, you know, see your doctor and talk to someone most viruses, you know, can last anywhere from two to four weeks. And that's something really acute, right? So something else that may be more complex in terms of, let's just say, a gut microbiome issue or things like that, those those symptoms are going to last a lot longer than two weeks. So once you hit that mark, I definitely think it's a good little flag to say, hmm, is there something more serious going on? Is there something lingering? You know, what what's happening. And I also think that, of course, and this goes without saying, but any severe symptoms warrant urgent, you know, workup or um, I would say a thorough evaluation right away. I wouldn't sit on that for two weeks, but I would say, you know, more moderate symptoms where you can live with them, but they're bothersome. That's the example of something where, you know, watchful waiting for two weeks, you try a couple of things that you might normally do or, Think to try on your own. And then if those are not working, then I would say you should see somebody. I'm curious, do you see a lot of people that end up almost normalizing exactly what you just said, where they've been struggling with some of these symptoms instead of two weeks for 10 years, and they're not even noticeable because they've been accepted of the normal are you seeing more of that? Or are you seeing more of like you said, oh, this is emergent, this is new, I gotta get help? I'm just curious because it feels like our conversation around health has become confusing to say the least. Yeah, 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 definitely. You know, I I will say it's really interesting when I see patients for like an annual physical, one chronic symptom that comes to mind that would be a good example of what you're talking about where people could have this syndrome for many, many years and become desensitized to it is something like chronic constipation. You know, for example, you know, people, I ask about bowel movements. And I was like, oh, you know, I go a couple times a week, but that's like normal for me. I'm like, well, <laughs> we should talk about that. <laughs> you know, so I definitely think it is a combination of things like that. And that's one of the reasons why it is good to go do an annual physical or do an annual wellness check and have a doctor who's being thorough and asking you those questions so that some of that stuff can get uncovered and doesn't get missed, you know. 
there are things like that. And, and also, for example, like people being on medications for a long time and they're just like carried over and carried over. I'll give you an example. I had a new patient that came to see me. This was years ago. Um, and he was on asthma medication and a medication for um, reflux. And I was like, well, so when was the last time you were like tapered down on these medications? How long have you been on them? You know, that kind of stuff. And we got him off of both. So, wow. and then he was, you know, yeah. And then he was intermittently using his inhaler when he needed it. And we'd, you know, bring it back up during the seasons where he was, you know, triggered more and bring it back down. And it was a much better plan because he, he was a young, young adult. And, um, you know, if you think about the lasting impacts of something that you do every day, that's something I talk a lot about in my practice where, you know, anything you do every day, you want to think about because it has a cumulative effect, either positive or negative. Right. And so those like healthy routines or even medications that you're taking or supplements or things like that, just important to always reexamine and reevaluate. Do I need this? Is it helping me? Is it not, you know, that kind of stuff. I love that. It's interesting how, it's like, yeah, this is what I've always done. It's working. It's like, is it? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and that to exactly. me, like you're talking about the concierge medicine approach to me is what it sounds like, right? There's this really, you know, kind of handheld, nurturing, supportive uh, word that's been coming to me lately that I don't know if kind of the full mainstream is ready for, but sacred healthcare, like dare I say sacred healthcare. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm making the lunge there. Like, I think we've got to bring the sacred healthcare to the mainstream because there's something in that, that feels like nurturing and just rooted in like the, the, the way we are all meant to live, I guess. I don't know the better way to put it. Yeah. The, how yeah, does your, yeah. your yoga training influence your philosophy in your practice as a primary care and in, in concierge medicine? Yeah, great question. So, you know, I would say one of the primary reasons why I love yoga and how I try to infuse it into my practice is just to invite daily movement practices into people's lives. I mean, for me, what I've started doing in the morning on days when I'm rushed and I don't have a lot of time is like 15 minutes of yoga in the morning and it changes my day. And I love that, right? So you can build strength, you can build, I think you build a lot of confidence and inner strength also by doing something for yourself in the morning. So just taking like a little bit of time and building that into your life and into your practice. And so that's definitely one thing that I love about yoga. The other thing that I love, and there are many, so I'll try to just pick three, but, but another thing that I love is body awareness. So I think it's good to really understand how you're feeling in your body. Every day is different, you know, and recognizing that because it's so easy to get caught up in things that are stressful and are, you know, busy routines and all of that kind of stuff. And the day will kind of get away from you. It's easy to not invite daily movement into your life in the afternoon or evening because of a busy day, or you're going to go see friends or whatnot. And, um, and so I think that having that check-in with yourself in the morning, you recognize, oh, I'm swollen here, this hurts, or I'm feeling good today. And like recognizing and appreciating all of that is really important. Yeah, that body awareness. I I was an athlete, a swimmer, and uh, I look back now oh. when I started developing more body awareness after swimming. <laughs> I'm like, ah, <laughs> I'm sure I had some, but it, it was just interesting. And thank God it wasn't soccer, but you know, swimming. I guess I just <laughs> kind of managed to get through it. Uh, okay, I I love this. And for you around wellness goals, intuition, how do you help someone craft their wellness 
wellness goals and what role does intuition play with the broader conversation that we're talking about? Yeah, so I would say, you know, wellness goals are really important because it helps to set expectations and to frame the journey a little bit, right? Because everyone has a, a many, many things that could be focused on from a primary care perspective in terms of there's preventative health care, their active symptoms, and then there's also your everyone's individual health goals, right? So there's like a whole checklist of things as, as a primary care doctor that I want to go through with patients when they come in for their annual physical. For example, cancer screening, screening for diabetes, screening for high blood pressure, screening for, you know, obesity, I just as examples, right? These are like checklists of like, you know, guideline-based things I like to do. At the same time, you know, everyone has their own checklist of like, ah, you know, I really want to work on, I mean, not to harp on this example, but let's just say like my gut health, or I want to work on my knee pain, or I want to, you know, for all these different things. Um, and so I think it's important to kind of have health and wellness goals to start to frame how we can work together collaboratively. I always say as a primary care doctor, I'm a guide, right? I'm a guide for you and your health, and I want to help people get where they want to go. I'll give another example. Yeah. I was working as a, um, as, as a resident in training. There was a patient who we had in ICU who was, was quite sick. Um, and his quality of life at that point was such that really he could sort of eat um, during the day, but he was stuck in bed. And his family would bring him McDonald's. And I remember talking to him and being like, is this like, how do you feel about your overall quality of life? Are you happy? Like, is everything great? And he's like, this is all I've ever wanted in life. I'm so happy. That's, that's important to recognize. Everyone's health goals are different, you know? So uh, I think it's just important to check in with that so that then you can be aligned. Cause it, it's very easy to sometimes go overboard or, you know, do a, a more thorough investigation of a symptom when it's not necessary or the opposite, right? To, to not do a thorough enough evaluation of a symptom when you should. And, and ultimately you have to listen to the patient because I always say also like, you know, your body best. So if there's something going on, you have to tell me, cause I can't, I can't find everything out on the exam. Right. Or even with the history, like, you know, we try as much as possible to ask open ended questions and try not to miss anything. But really, it comes from the patient. That example, you know, it's everyone's model of the world is different. And I'm wondering, as a doctor, if you're looking at the patient like you should want more or if that's like a part of the training <laughs> is like, OK, like you want to be in bed watching TV, having your McDonald's like that's all you you know, and I, I guess it's like when the student is ready, the teacher arrives. But if the student's not ready, like, what are we doing? Like, celebrate his goals and where he's at. Exactly. And, you know, I think it's funny because I learned this in my training as well, which is like medication is only as good as the buy-in from the patient is, right? Meaning, like, I can prescribe a zillion, you know, medications, blood pressure medication, diabetes medication, antibiotics, if the patient doesn't want to take them, they're not going to be effective, right? And so it's funny because, you know, sometimes we would see patients and we get a limited amount of time with them and you want to just treat everything in one go. So we want to give them a statin and a blood pressure medication and, a this and, that, and it's too much. And then they would come back and not, you know, take the medication. And then I learned to be much more stepwise, even though it would have been great to just kind of do everything all at the same time and get everything under control. 
Because you have to get patients to buy into it, to want to do it, to understand that they're in control of their health and then to, to take those medications consistently because they'll feel better or prevent chronic disease and things like that. So I think it's important to have that doctor-patient relationship in such a way that you work collaboratively together to reach those health goals. And, you know, I, I think primary care too is kind of like the long game, right? So mm-hmm. it doesn't all have to be fixed overnight. It's do, making small changes over time that then ends up with a big result. And those small changes, those gains stacking and, you know, the trusted relationship you're building with your clients, that's something that in some practices, you may get five minutes with a doctor. It's never the same doctor. And it seems like that model could overlook some things versus if I just, the, the word nurturing keeps coming through times a thousand. This feels very nurturing. Yeah, exactly. It is. And, and that's the other thing too, is, you know, if you have a primary care doctor who's with you over, a, you know, a, a very long period of time, you both get to understand each other better. In that respect, the, the medicine is better. And the reason is, A, typically then the patient's going to be more forthcoming and open because they're comfortable in that relationship and, they're com- and they feel safe and, and, as you said, nurtured and cared for. And as a physician, the more information that we have, the better we can diagnose and treat and prevent. And so it's just a better model all the way around. You're right, though. I mean, in a lot of... A lot of systems now, uh, the health care system is just um, overwhelmed. And so, unfortunately, it, you know, you can only do so much in a 15-minute visit. And if you're seeing a different doctor each time, it's hard on the doctor and it's hard on the patient. And this overwhelmed healthcare system, I've noticed this coming up more and more, and I'm not in the front lines of healthcare, so I believe what I'm hearing about the healthcare system being overwhelmed and feel like that's a thousand more percent the reason why preventative medicine and preventative healthcare and the modalities that you're talking about to keep you out of the system that could be overwhelmed and you're not going to get the quality of care avenues like what health meets wellness offers. Uh, but the opportunity for each person, myself, yourself, to be taking optimal care of ourselves, you you as a listener. And uh, one of the practices that I know you leverage with your clients is habit stacking as a practice with the yeah. preventative medicine. Could you share what habit stacking is and how you use that with your clients and patients? I say clients. Yeah. Yeah, 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 definitely. I love uh, habit stacking because it helps to foster routine. And so, you know, I think that when you build on things that you're already doing, it feels good in the sense that you're reinforcing that uh, um, positive behavior that you're already doing and then adding to it. And then you really do end up with the cumulative effect. So a good example is if you, for example, wake up and have water in the morning, then you put you know, for example, your workout stuff next to your glass of water. So when you wake up, then you have a sip of water, you hydrate, then you put your workout clothes on and you're going to be much more likely then to do a morning workout routine if you're already in your workout clothes. You could substitute coffee or tea for water, but I was just using an example of of something that someone might do in the morning. The teeth brushing. I've gotten addicted to teeth brushing, you know, brushing my teeth and dry brushing. That's why <laughs> the dry brushing and the teeth brushing. And I just, it feels so good. And then it's like, oh, you, you keep the momentum, the friction in the transitions. Like 
in triathlons, there's transitions, right? Swim, bike, run. Yeah. If you go slow on the transitions or as a swimmer, it's like touching the wall, go. You got to keep the transitions moving. And I, I love to hear about people with their transitions because sometimes things get lost in the transition. There's more friction. And then like you didn't do the second thing because you got stuck or distracted from the first thing. And I love how you explain yeah. habit, habit stacking as a way to reduce that friction. Yeah, yeah, I love the dry brushing reference. Wait, so I just have one question for you because I've tried yes. dry brushing and I maybe I have the wrong brush, but it, it's painful. You know if you have a brush that's like feels good? I think it hurts a little. It's a good hurt. It's a little bit of a good hurt. I just, I don't know what it is. And I have the circle one and I'm like, I guess yeah. it's like the, I'm waking up. It does hurt a little mm. bit. Now I feel a lot more awake. Yeah. <laughs> I think you're doing it right. <laughs> it's funny. I do think those morning routines that wake you up, though, are great. I um, A couple of mornings I've tried getting in like a cold plunge, and it is so activating. It is amazing. So I, I think maybe it's a similar kind of thing with the dry brush. <laughs> I, it sounds like it is. It sounds like it is. It's it's kind of like, what am I doing? Yeah. I'm awake. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of physiological stress and your body just goes right into action. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> that's good. So we talked about movement. Could you share with us how you incorporate nutrition and why that's important for this conversation around primary care? Yeah, definitely. So nutrition, I think, is really the cornerstone of health. In general, you know, we always think of our bodies as being like a, a temple to use your sacred healthcare yeah. reference. Thank you. And so, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, I think you have to be really mindful of what you're putting in your body. And because everything you put in your body affects all your cellular processes on a micro and macro level, and then that impacts your health overall. And so we really try to heal from the inside out at Health Meets Wellness by personalizing a meal plan so that our patients can reach their health and wellness goals, whether they're weight-related, gut-related, um, related to an autoimmune or rheumatologic condition, or, or anything else in terms of even just preventative care. I think that really focusing on whole foods, foods that are good for your genetic makeup, um, your preferences, your lifestyle will help you feel good throughout the day, help maximize energy levels, concentration, and things like that so that you can really look and feel your best. So powerful. This has become one of my greatest life passions is the food journey. And I just don't know there was something I started noticing actually when I would dine out, how some open concept kitchens that became pretty popular a few years back, maybe it's decades now. Uh, but if, unless it's an open concept, you can't see the food. And that was a physical disconnect. Like you literally can't see how the food's being prepared. And that felt really symbolic to me, that awareness at the time of like the disconnect of us with our food things like fast mm -hmm. food, you know, you can see that illustrated throughout. And for me personally, getting curious about my relationship with food, it opened up so many doors to build that intimacy and like start that healing process. And it feels underrated, but it's something we're doing 
at least once a day. I think most people are eating more than once a day, but you know, we're going to like talk about a daily habit. You're doing this. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I totally agree with you. I, I think that people are so far removed from what they're eating. And a lot of this processed food, quite frankly, isn't even real food, right? And so it's causing inflammation, it's causing weight gain, it's causing or leading to obesity and high cholesterol and high blood pressure and all of these conditions. And really treating the root cause, which is the food, um, could cure so many things. And I really love treatments where one treatment cures multiple things, right? So I think, you know, focusing on food is, is really significant and important. And, and I also agree with you in terms of feeling separated, even from, from meat or fish or things like that. Like someone would say, you know, I would never go hunting. I would never, you know, kill an animal, but they eat chicken or they eat pork. And then it's like, well, there's a little bit of a disconnect there. Mm-hmm. And I just think that um, for everyone, and this is just kind of like a personal philosophy, but I think if you're going to eat fish, you have to you know, be okay with fishing and maybe try to catch a fish and eat it and see how that feels. I'm not a vegetarian. I, I do eat meat and I eat fish, but I I'm a fisher. I, I'm a fisher that. woman. So yeah, <laughs> I yeah, love I it. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's important just to recognize and appreciate that, you know, is it that, you know, we're all part of this cycle of life and part of the food chain and to recognize our own mortality and the beauty of the food that we're consuming and, and to be grateful for that, right? Because it's a beautiful thing. It is. We, we have a mini food forest at the back of our house. It's like a 10 foot by 20 foot plot of land that I, in 2021, I felt very moved to convert this part of our lot to a food forest. My husband thought I was a little kooky. It was for my birthday. I bought myself a bunch of plants. I installed them all myself. And to literally before the show, I was checking on it. And I was like, oh man, the Moringa, I need to juice some of the Moringa. And I've been doing like some Moringa <laughs> with the ginger lemon, but our star fruit has eight baby star fruits. And one was on wow. the ground and I was, it was so tiny, maybe an inch or two. And I was eating it, it had fallen. And I'm looking at these bigger star fruits and I'm like, that's two years later, two and a half years later. And I'm eating my star fruits and I'm just like, ah, this is so cool. And it just feels like a way more intimate experience of food than I could ever imagined. You know, a smaller scale could be like a little herb garden or just one plant or, you know, there's simple ways to introduce that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I totally agree. And I actually do that. I keep like a little basil plant in my kitchen. And it's like, I'll just replace it periodically when I need to when it gets over trimmed. Um, And uh, it's it's cheap and easy, but it's fun. And it's so much better than just buying the pre cut basil, you know, because it's fresh, you you know, I trim it every time I want to use the leaves, it, you know, it, it continues to give and I feel like it gives to the kitchen as well, right? So it brings color in, it brings life in. I just, I love that. So with uh, the meal plans, are you, how are you formatting the meal plans? Is it meeting someone where they're at with their current dietary habits? Is it like starting completely separate from that and helping them just get on board with what you see as the right way to eat? There's nuance yeah, there. Yeah, that's a good question. It, <laughs> Yeah, definitely. It depends. So we sort of gauge where somebody is in terms of readiness to change and also how significantly we feel like we should change their diet 
based on their health and wellness goals. And, you know, I would say I really put a lot of um, ownership and control of that in um, Elle Bernardo, our registered dietitian here at Health Meets Wellness, because she's wonderful. And we work very collaboratively together. So, you know, I kind of come up with my own plan when I see the patient initially, and I have an idea of what I think, you know, she's going to do and what I would recommend. And then she chats with me about what her recommendations are, and we come up with a plan together. So it's nice, too, because, you know, sometimes I find that I'll, you know, hear some things from a patient, and then it's a little bit different in terms of the information that she gets. And so we can put that together and really tailor something special for for our patients. That's amazing. And as we're in the holiday season, I know that someone may be listening to this episode not in the holiday season, but there's also times in the world where there's a lot of events or it's a little more stressed. And that could also be what for some the holidays can feel like this time of year. Do you have any tips on the movement side, on the nutrition side, on the overall, overall well-being side that could help someone thrive instead of survive over the next couple of weeks? Yes, I love that. Thrive instead of survive. Um, Definitely. I would say just to actually bring it back to the yoga piece, like check in with yourself every day, take a moment just to see how you're feeling. And it might help you start to make healthier decisions um, in terms of making sure that you just watch your portions. I always say like the dose makes the poison. So indulge, but just be mindful to take that moment, like have a bite, check in with yourself. Do you really want to eat the whole cookie or maybe half the cookie? And then the next day you have a different cookie or the other half of that same cookie that you like. But that way you're just not piling cookie upon cookie upon cookie. And what I mean by that is like using cookie as an example, but it's like when you allow yourself to kind of go off of your routine, then as we were talking about every day, it has a cumulative effect. And so if you do these things in smaller doses and you allow yourself to engage and be involved, but have some boundaries or limits on what you're doing, I think that it helps to keep things in check. So then you don't actually end up so far away from where you were at the beginning of the holiday season at the end of the holiday season. You're not set back five years. It's just a week. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Where am I? That's, that's great. And it's interesting. I notice having the bite or two, the pause versus the cookie or two and the pause, they both kind of feel the same, but I always feel better after the bite or two versus the cookie or two, but it's like that pausing has to happen for that check-in to, to really click in. Exactly. Exactly. And it's hard to do because we are all very routine oriented, but like that routine a little bit in terms of just like going for the next bite, taking a minute to check in with yourself and to enjoy the moment, enjoy who you're with, because Food is a, I think, a lovely kind of community um, thing to share, right? And so, you know, oftentimes during the holiday season, we're at an event, as you said, or we're out with friends and um, just sort of not losing sight of that as being the main event, as opposed to, let's say, the food or the glass of wine or whatever else is there. Yeah, that's great. Like the purpose. Why are you here? You're connecting with the loved ones. It's not to have your 16th magical Christmas cookie. It's it's the people that are there. Exactly, oh. exactly. I do think it is important to still have the cookie though. Like mm-hmm. I definitely I'm not um not in favor of restricting, but I just think it's good to sort of like check in and then limit the portions, right? So in the sense of like don't eliminate, but just 
eat, eat the recommended amounts because generally in this country we eat much larger portions than would be recommended and so that's something that I like to just kind of like reinforce and check in with because most times like stop eating um, and you wait a little bit as you said you're going to feel the same amount of satisfaction as if you had just eaten the whole cookie and maybe better if you don't overeat you know yeah, that's great. The portion size, like the American portion size, I think this is an interesting segue into, I know you brought up weight management and obesity, some of the challenges as Americans that we face. And I think this is becoming a global challenge. And at the same time, this feels like the year of health innovation with some of these brand name drugs that I, they might've always existed, but I just really have heard about them a lot this year. I feel nervous you know, unless you're trading stocks and really hit it big with a little bucket of, you know, these, I, th I forget, is it like the GBL or one? You can, you can inform me. One, yeah, yeah. One medication. Yeah, I think um, like, yeah. some of the, some of the financial firms literally built baskets of just those specific stocks. So you could, you know, went on the upside there. I, I'm former finance, so you have to forgive me. I sometimes get nerdy on the financial side. But uh, yeah, just if you have any kind of yellow flags or awarenesses for people, your approach around primary care, preventative medicine, the functional medicine component, the nutrition, the movement, how committing to that versus the new medical innovation of the month, just if there's some upsides, downsides that are worth exploring, if there's anything you want to say, this is my lens looking at the past year. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, you know, I definitely am in favor of the GLP-1 agonists mm -hmm. or the GLP-1 medications like mm -hmm. semaglutide, which is sold under the brand name Ozempic or Wegovy, mm -hmm. as well as terzepatide, which is the new combination that's a GLP-1 and a GIP, so two, two incretin hormones combined in one. And I, I'm a, a big proponent of these medications for a number of reasons. One, they're very effective. Help people who have really been struggling with weight in terms of obesity as a chronic disease, and it's taken the stigma away from that in terms of people feeling or feeling like it's their fault or that people like view them as undisciplined or things like that. And it's opened up the awareness that obesity is a chronic disease and that there are hormonal changes and metabolic conditions that are, you know, really making it difficult for people to lose the weight, diet and exercise without the medication. And I also think it's really important to recognize that the medication it needs to be used in combination with the diet and exercise to not only foster lasting positive behavior change, but also to have the positive health impacts that the medication can have with the weight loss, meaning lose weight um, in a way that is not focused on the right health impact. You can lose lean muscle mass, you can lose bone density, and those can have an impact on your long-term health in terms of increasing your risk of osteoporosis or um, increasing risk of, uh, of injury with a fall when you get older, for example, things like that. Um, and, and decreasing strength, right? So then that's gonna decrease mobility and activity over time. So really understanding how to take charge of your health and have ownership with your health, specifically with weight loss and these medications, I think is really important. And that's why I love the program that 
that health means wellness because we're combining the medicine, exercise, and nutrition for weight management, which is just the way I believe medicine should be practiced in general. And now we have these really powerful agents, which are these medications that we know work. And when you combine it with the medicine, sorry, with the exercise and nutrition, you help actually foster a positive feedback loop with these changes so that you see the weight loss, you want to continue to eat healthy, you want to continue to exercise because you're feeling good. And then I think overall, long term, that is the best possible outcome. That makes a lot of sense to reinforce the lifestyle element. When someone is committing to those medicines, does that mean that they have to be on it forever? Is there a way to healthfully pull back. You had mentioned at the earlier conversation, you know, asking clients, when was the last time you took a break? Or I think titrated down. How does that work for these medications? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. And I would say it is patient specific. What the obesity medicine research shows is that obesity is a chronic disease. And Mm -hmm. so it should be treated as such much like high blood pressure, or high cholesterol. So is it possible Mm -hmm. to change the disease process with diet and lifestyle changes? Yes. However, majority of people in that category, they will probably need to be on the medication for life. I do think that this is just the tip of the iceberg with Mm -hmm. the medication and I think that there are different ways to use it, potentially, as we said, titrating it down, having a, uh, a little holiday or using it as needed, meaning like on the lowest possible dose and then in combination with the diet and exercise. I do think that for patients who have not had a lifetime of obesity, but rather gained a lot of weight in or a significant amount of weight in a shorter amount of time because of a specific change in their lifestyle or diet, for example, let's say somebody had kids in succession, has a deaf job and was relatively sedentary after gained weight and wasn't able to lose it after about three years. Than someone who has been obese since the age of 15 or 18 or, you know, so, Mm -hmm. and I think in that case, pairing the medication to jumpstart their metabolism um, and foster these healthy behavior changes to lose the weight and then keep it off without the medication while maintaining the other weight management interventions, which are the diet and lifestyle medic- modifications. I think that's ability and that's a really exciting space to be in. Yeah. I mean, even the example you gave earlier about the gentleman that was sick, it sounded like it was a newer sickness, but he was in the bed for most of that and eating the McDonald's, you know, I, chronic obesity and the limitations that can come with that and the understanding of that as a disease, you know, they, I, I'm curious about the root root cause and some of the systemic challenges that we face. You heard me talk about the food forest, like I'm a real soil advocate. Uh, and so it's, it's sitting within a large, large, large conversation. And it's just exciting that there are solutions when some of the bigger systemic issues may not have solutions anytime soon, if that makes sense. And, you know, we're kind of where we're sitting in 2023 with where we're headed and what you're doing with health meets wellness is illuminating what you can do within your personal responsibility, whether you're using a drug like that to help you navigate the weight challenges and the disease of obesity or not. Um, you know, th- there's, that's, that's gotta be a part of the conversation, no matter who you are. It's, it's one of the takeaways I'm getting. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I, I hear what you're saying as well, right? Like, I mean, on like, uh, yeah, honestly, if we could 
treat the root cause, which is the food industry in this country, that would be great. But um, I think it's, it's really taking a multifaceted approach in terms of first, you know, the patients do need or people do need to lose the weight. And um, if you change the food at this point for someone with chronic obesity, they, they still will not probably have the same results that they would with the medication, for example. Mm-hmm. And then secondly, you know, if we do start to invite awareness into diet and exercise and foster these healthy behavior changes, people will naturally start eating different foods. And hopefully the food industry will shift with that. I know that there were a couple of articles saying that, the, that some um, companies were nervous because, you know, sales had gone down for some like unhealthy foods like Twinkies and things like that because people just aren't eating them as much anymore. And it's like those positive changes will then start to reflect hopefully positive changes in the food industry as well. There, when I was in college, I came up with this word called citizumer, a citizen and a consumer. It's a little cheesy. I can be cheesy. So citizumer. And, you know, Sitting in 2023, I think back, that was like 2005, Sumer, and I'm like, huh, consumer sentiment is powerful, and but there's an awareness piece, something I'm aware of, It may we could fact check this, but I believe it's like 97% of soil is depleted of its proper nutrients. I find that extremely concerning, and even if that that number was 10%, like if, if, if 10% of soil was lost to nutrient uh, density, I would feel concerned. So, you know, again, it's like, for me, that took me 20 years to figure out. And I'm like, oh man, the only thing I know I could do is plant a food forest, but I'm really concerned about soil health and what's happening to our food. And I just love that you bring up some of the other food companies because consumer sentiment and through the education, it starts to build that awareness and the shifts in that behavior. And I, I feel really curious and excited of what's possible. And that may be part of the entrepreneur in me of innovation and possibility, but uh, yeah, it's, it's curious times. Yeah, it's really exciting. I think we are living in exciting times in that respect. Things are very dynamic right now with, you know, the wellness industry in general. And I think COVID really did shine a lens on that. And I think people are at this moment more engaged with their health, more open to wellness in terms of complementary and alternative medicine in this country in particular, where we weren't as open to that um, as a society. And I think it's an exciting time to see how we can really start to foster some healthy changes with our diet and nutrition in this country. Amen, sister. Uh, so <laughs> where where business meets well-being, you are the CEO, you're leading the helm of your company. Are there any insights that you want to share for the entrepreneurs listening to help them maintain their business, their business growth, and also tapping into their overall well-being? Yeah, I think a couple of things. I think, you know, as the as a CEO or as a leader of any company, you are, everything trickles from the top down. So, you know, you have to stay positive and, and try to, you know, make everything in the company, whether or not it's going exactly at, you know, to your plan or not into a positive towards a common goal so that everybody is working together. And so that you feel like our, of the company and building it together. In that respect, I think, it helps to not only a sense of camaraderie, but also buy into the brand because everyone, whether or not you're a practice or not, like 
client or consumer sees everything, even if you don't think they do. They know what's going on on the inside. And so I, I just think it's really important to um, make sure that you're surrounding yourself with people in your company who you like and who you believe really have the same goals um, for, for you and for the brand, because then you'll work collaboratively together. And there's so much fun creativity and excitement in uncharted territory. And so having people around you who are open to that really make the the whole journey a lot better and and that's what it's all about the journey you know so just as we talked about even like taking time to check in yeah I try to you know take time to check in with myself and with the with everyone in in the company so that we're all aligned oh I love that and I know that you are in New York City and you have the practice there you also have telehealth available for different states and people can in Florida Use your telehealth services, also New York, New Jersey, Texas, Wisconsin, Wyoming, Puerto Rico. Am I missing any other on the telehealth? That's it. Okay, awesome. And there's an opportunity also for our listeners, if they want to follow you on your Instagram, Dr. Elizabeth Sharp, or at Health Meets Wellness, and also an initial consult, you get a free 20-minute health call with one of the Health Meets Wellness HMW. I love that healthcare providers. So we just thank you very much. And this has been such a treat. Dr. Elizabeth Sharp, CEO of Health Meets Wellness. Do you have any closing thoughts for our listeners today? Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to our podcast. And I hope that you enjoyed it and that you check us out on Instagram and on our website. Oh, awesome. Thank you so much. And hopefully we'll be able to have you back and have a follow-up episode if there's any questions. I feel like we planted some seeds, pun intended. And so if that makes sense, we'll, we'll do that. And just thank you so much, Dr. Elizabeth Sharp. And I'm wishing you blessings on the journey and just appreciate the work that you're doing to help others. So thank you. So much. Be well. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into our show today. Please like, share, subscribe, send to a friend, give the review. And always, if you have feedback, we want to hear team at lelalife.co. Feel free to email us and follow us on social. You can reach us there. Sending you blessings as always. Much love.